Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Marian Nulevant here in Portland, Oregon. And I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And today we have on Simon, I'm going to butcher your last name even though I've known you for years, Rakliotis from ThinkMill. How are you doing, Simon? Pretty good, thank you. And you nailed it. No. That was pretty good. Come on. <laughs> There's no way Matt pronounces it like Vrash, like totally different than that. Say your last name. You say it. Vrashliotis or Vrakliotis. You can choose and you pick the second and that was pretty good. Oh, okay, cool. And we had Simon doing our Rage Against the Machine bomb track intro on his ukulele, which is pretty cool. <laughs> so Simon, if you were wandering around nomadically looking for a good internet connection, recording a podcast in the back of your car, randomly positioned somewhere outside of Sydney, and someone asked you, what was it like to transition from a primary school teacher to a React web dev trainer, what would you say? Ooh, I'd say that's a pretty long story, but sounds like you spied on me because this is exactly what my morning started looking like. <laughs> okay, I want you I want you to describe this. So first of all, everyone, Simon is in Australia and he has this internet connection that Simon at work, what hours does it not work for you? Any hour where other people would use the internet. So mostly between eight in the morning and 9 p.m. If you're awake, you know, when you would actually want to use it, right? Yeah, if, so if there's sunlight outside or some sort of like Telstra or whatever is the internet provider, right? I'm not with Telstra. Telstra is the biggest provider in Australia. I'm with a company that should not be named. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> but in any event, it's like five in the morning. You had to get up at 4.30 in the morning to yep. do this recording. And in order to, <laughs> this is how bad your internet is, apparently, in order to try and get something that actually works, you actually like drove around next to a cell tower. Is that right? <laughs> Correct. I literally drove about five minutes from my house on a plateau high on the hill. And there's one of these towers for reception, which optimizes the chances but i have really good uh, i posted a tweet just before and it's like 80 down 40 up which is huge for australia i just think that's hilarious that you're like so if anyone can picture it so simon is in the back of his car no no i'm at the steering wheel well i'm at the steering wheel i'm at the, the driver's seat yet okay so you're in the driver's seat you got a laptop like balanced on the steering wheel or is it in the seat next to you or, or what's going on between the steering wheel and myself <laughs> okay so you got it propped up there so what kind and of then, car is it <laughs> It's a V-Dub Polo, which is quite oh, small. Yes. Yeah. So if anyone is around Sydney and wants to harass, if they see a VW Polo, like next to a cell tower somewhere, you can come up and bang on the window. <laughs> There's absolutely no one around me, so you'd find me. But anyway, so that's, you've got the laptop position there, and then you've got a microphone, and you said you're running on battery, right? So we got to, we only have a certain amount of time to do this podcast. Is that right? Seven minutes left, I'd say. <laughs> oh my God, we better get into it quick. No, so I have, I have 90% battery and I have a full power bank that can recharge it to about 100% or just under. So we should be right. good. Okay, you're living, I mean, this is impressive, but On in any edge. event, I have known you for, God, how long have I known you? Like three three years, four years, something like that? Yeah, I'd say about four years now. Yeah, something like that. And the way I knew you is, you know, initially you came in the, then it was the craft slack and you were asking questions about your getting a craft site set up and I helped you a little bit. And then you were one of the, the few people who was nice enough to be like, oh, this guy is really helping me. Maybe I should pay him. <laughs> and you managed to get your company, which at the time was Society One, to kind of onboard me to help with consulting thing. But I want to rewind it before all of that. So apparently the tech world was not your first career. What was your first career? So I started as a primary school teacher where I was teaching sports and geography. In Wait, a... well, hold on. So you were you were a gym teacher. So you were playing kickball and like throwing, throwing balls at kids and hitting them in the face and that kind of thing? All that kind of stuff, but with the Swiss flavor, which involved 
involves skiing and lots of different activities that are like kind of Swiss sports, mostly soccer and basketball, volleyball. Okay. So you were a primary teacher in Switzerland. Yes. So I'm originally from Switzerland, which is why I go by the nickname of Simon Swiss. And I went to university, seven years of uh, university to get a, like a teaching degree of sports oh and geography. Wow. And uh, I ended up starting working for a private school in Switzerland. Okay. And the interesting part is because I was teaching sports, we would do a lot of tournaments uh, Sometimes even because it was a private school, we did some international tournaments. And parents that gave trust to me to take their kids on a trip wanted some updates on the, first of all, the sports, like how did the tournament go and how's the, the, the trip going and stuff. Mm, and mm -hmm. my way to update them was very, very poor. It was just like a little PDF. I had Word document with the results and then export to PDF and email to the parents sometimes the next day. And so you, uh, have soccer, you have soccer moms in Switzerland too? Is that what you're telling me? Sort of. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like these are soccer moms that wanted updates on their kids, right? Yep, they wanted updates really, really quick. And eventually I thought maybe there's a, a thing on the web that allows me to publish results, which there was. And long story short, I figured out that would be a good idea to try to build a little website for the tournament results. And I know Patrick's here and might like it. I discovered this CMS called Drupal. Mm. And that was my entry, gateway entry into web development. I like <laughs> like the background side. How are we looking at it? Six, seven, eight? That was Drupal version six at the time. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, that was awful. So that was your gateway drug, huh? So it was a, it was big. <laughs> you didn't run screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, well, oh. But it's interesting to me. So this was kind of like purpose-driven, right? And it kind of reminds me of, we talked with Verity about her background and she was just like, well, this can't be that hard. How hard could it be? I'm just going to do it, right? And you kind of had the same thing. You're just like, I'm just going to go build this thing. Completely reverse engineering my way. So essentially at the start, I literally found a Drupal site that had a theme that kind of looked like I wanted. And I found a really cool, the reason I went to Drupal is there was a module called uh, Sports Leagues. And it would allow you to set up team names and then run Robin tournaments and then just give you some tables and you would just start a match. And then when the game finishes, you put the score and it auto updates the, the standings tables and the tournaments. And it would send an email to the people who subscribe, which would be the parents. And while uh, the sites looked the way it looked, and I had no idea to really control any of that, the parents were completely blown away how amazing the, I would literally that was the year I think the iPhone came out or maybe a couple of years after 2009 or 10 I don't know and mm -hmm. I was able to from my phone enter the results from the, the court side and the parents would see the result immediately and message back like oh thank you so much this is amazing that's really cool so how did you end up going to Australia from Switzerland? Like, what happened? That's a very interesting point. That's a long story. I'll try to keep it short. But to stay on topic of this Drupal thing, eventually I wanted to change how the site looked. And so I discovered this Firebug thing in the, in Firefox, which allows you to look at the CSS and change the color and font size and mm. realize, mm -hmm. wow, I can change these things and I can actually make it look like I want. And quite early, quite soon, I realized sometimes you can't just change the CSS, the template markup needs to change so I got into HTML and because of Drupal I got into some PHP like simple things like loops and, and stuff like this and I kind of reverse engineered my way to a point where I started doing other websites for other people on the site because I was like hey I, I have that skill now that I should use and also what happened is the, the school I was working at showed other private schools because there's, these tournaments are against other schools and they were like hey this is how what we have like we just have that website and the parents can see the results and all of a sudden I got propelled to to this group of pub, uh, group of private schools webmaster because 
everyone wanted the same <sighs> website and the same functionality. Right. And uh, right. I ended up I ended up building a website which was that version, but for all the schools, and that would handle all the tournaments for all the different schools during the different seasons and stuff like that. So you became a web developer. I kind of yeah, literally volunteered my way into that progressively by just drag and drop like you would do in WordPress or Drupal, which, which maybe you've seen that thread from Chris Coyer talking about people assembling websites rather than building them because not really understanding the underlying technologies and progressively learned my way very deep into the stack up to up to this point. But yeah, and that, go- that was my comment, actually. I was just like, yeah, the, that type of thing is more web assembly than it not not the technology no. patrick don't yeah, yeah. get all worked yeah. up yeah but please. it is more it is more assembly than development not that there's anything wrong with it yeah. but that's how a lot of people get started so i haven't answered your question but i will now all right while i while i was getting uh, trained at university to be a sports teacher i did one year exchange program as you can do with universities and i went to a sydney university called uts so I did one full year of my university program in Sydney. And why? What motivated you to do that? Because Sydney is pretty far away. Did you just kind of always want to go to Australia? or I did. Uh, I did and I did not because I actually applied for University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Very uh-huh. attracted to the idea of snowboarding in Whistler and stuff uh, like this. Okay. And I got so accepted. This was a, hold on, hold on, hold on. So this yes. was an extended vacation for you. And you were just picking destinations that had something you wanted to do, snowboarding or surfing. That's kind of what university is like no Uh, (laughs) (laughs) all right fair enough fair enough now um well i got accepted to this british columbia university i got so excited and then they reached out to me say i am so sorry the person that does the opposite and comes to lausanne in switzerland which was my uni has pulled out and we cannot send you there and i was like Uh, so miserable and they say uh, but there is an opening in sydney it's kind of different but if you want to go surfing instead of snowboarding and uh, i suddenly simon if you think about it it's all just a board on some form of water you know, one is frozen, the other isn't. What's the difference? Exactly. It's yeah. all the same sort of activity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, again, long story short, and it's not that short anymore, but I went to Sydney. I studied sports and tourism and marketing, and I discovered woman, which is now my wife and mother of two children, Heather, which is Australian. And I came back to Switzerland for a few years. And now in this new dynamic of having a partner that comes from the other side of the world. So she came to Switzerland as well. But it was clear mm-hmm. in my head that we might as a family want to go back and forth and the appeal of being able to work from my laptop and technically carry my job over when I moved to the other side of the world got stronger and stronger so from that webmaster I was still a sports teacher maybe 80-90% of my week and then doing 10% webmaster duties and the next year so I think it was 2010 uh, or 11 I said to my boss hey I want to try teach 50% and pursue this uh, web development thing the other 50% of the week Mm. which I did for one year and pretty much immediately I was like hold on I'm making more money and I have more fun and I can completely work from wherever I want on this 50% where I do web dev and so in 2013 my wife and I and we had one child about 11 months back then we decided to go back to Australia and I had put a bit of money on the side and I had a buffer of about six months to just give it a go and uh, go full-time web development and if it takes off sweet and if it doesn't I can go back to teaching and do yeah what, uh, what could go wrong degree. exactly what could, what go, could wrong, go wrong right yeah you know and, you know, it's interesting you use the terminology discovered a girl. When I talked to Heather when I was down in Australia, she said something about a restraining order. So like the kind of was a little bit different in terms of your interpretations of things. You were kind of stalking her or something like that. Right. <laughs> we met somehow. Mm, okay. 
All right. We'll just leave it there. That's fine. That's fine. fine. And just for everybody else who may be living elsewhere in the world, you said you were a primary school teacher. What age range, kids, is that? So it's pretty much from when they finish daycare and start school, which is called differently in different places of the world, but about four years old, the youngest. I think I had once a three-year-old that was just turning four, like one month after starting, up to about 10, 11. Okay. So we would call that, like here, it would be elementary school is kind of what it would be termed. Yes. Teaching high school students too, but I, I found my really strong interest for younger kids because of the excitement and the always energetic and happy to learn and stuff, which sometimes I bumped into teenagers, which had a bit more like a reluctancy to do stuff. And my wife is a teacher too. Is a really nice way. That's a really <laughs> nice way to say it. <laughs> yeah, I looked for a nice word to use. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think there are a lot of people that are in the middle of the whole COVID-19 crisis that are homeschooling and are realizing how difficult it is to deal with kids and and homeschooling their kids. And probably, hopefully, the value placed on teachers will be much higher. I've seen so many tweets of people saying things like, uh, I've realized that I could never be a teacher or I'm doing a terrible job homeschooling my kids or stuff like that. Um, (laughs) I saw a really funny tweet that someone put out like a meme. It was like, there are a whole bunch of parents that are going to be finding out that the teacher isn't the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've I've seen that one. That's good. (laughs) Which I think is lovely. All right, so... You were you're doing this 50-50. What's next? Yeah, so I went to, we moved up for uh, six months to a place called the Gold Coast, which is kind of near Brisbane, a bit north from Sydney. Nice. And we had a buffer. I had six months to try to become a web developer. And if I want to teach in Australia, which I ended up never doing, I would have needed to do a six-month degree at university, an extra degree just to have like the Australian version of my paper. Right. And we moved in July 2013. And I was like with my wife, okay, we have just saved enough money that you can try until Christmas to be a web dev, pursue your thing and see how it goes. And the first four months, so till October, were really, really rough because moving to Australia, I lost my Swiss clients and I pretty much started from the ground up. And I had a few clients here and there, but it was hard for me to get noticed and also get consistent income to the point where I want to support our child and family yeah. and stuff. And you had to and learn Australian too. You had to learn a whole new language, right? Exactly. <laughs> but um, this is, I think, where my first... Uh, big break came is through the the year before I had discovered this platform uh, called Theme Forest, which is a marketplace where you can pretty much buy pre-made templates for HTML or Drupal or WordPress or what have you. And then do what uh, I referred before to this Chris Coyer thread on Twitter, what's called like uh, site flipping, where you just buy a theme or tell your client to buy a theme that looks really professional. And then you change the images and text and stuff like this. So that's what I had been doing for the 50-50. That was pretty much my gig because I was still very new to web development and I was like I can use that crutch of a pre-made theme and I'm pretty good with client communication and I can understand what they want and then put it on the website like they want and they're really really happy with that so I there was a business model here for me and shocking to me Simon something that I've been finding lately is there's just so much money in these prefab themes you know Adam Watham's making millions you know him and and Steve are are making millions from this Tailwind UI and then you've also got I didn't even know this until recently Tommy Vet I'm probably going to butcher his last name Vedic or whatever the guy, uh, Gritsum, the yeah. brother, yeah, who's he did Gritsum. So he has a WooCommerce theme that went from very small in 2013 to now it's $150,000 a month, he tweeted out. 
that he makes from a WooCommerce theme. Like, you got to be kidding me. And apparently that's kind of where the name Gridsum came from is the theme is Flotsam or something, right? Yep. It's going to go in different times, but uh, I've, I've met Tommy in the Gridsum Discord when this thing came and I was all about Vue.js and all about Gatsby and this thing was the mix of both. Yep. And only the other day when he shared this thing about Theme Forest, I was like, hold on a minute. Uh, in 2013, I was all over Theme Forest and I knew all the, the popular theme. Which one is it? And he said Flatsum. And I kid you not, I have done three client projects with this theme specifically. And it's it's a really that's good one, actually. Funny. So in and a way, you like, help I just connected right? the dots. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And then some other guy tweeted out about how he has got a, a bootstrap theme or something that he sells in their, their company. They make a million dollars a year. I'm like, yeah. I had no idea that there was this kind of money in this UI theming stuff. Like, that's crazy. You know? You're in the wrong business, well, Andrew. I mean, yeah, we got to. Hmm. <laughs> no, I'm in the wrong business. I think I'm in the right. Sure. I'm definitely in the right business because there is zero people that would buy my theme. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just not a thing but i just was i was surprised and then I terrible themes yeah well then i thought about it a little bit more and i was just like all right you know what that makes sense because there are a lot of back-end developers or just developers in general that they just want to stand something up that looks good and they want those legos and they just want to stick them together you know yep. and that that's kind of how you got started in the whole thing huh that's exactly how i got started and because i was living in this theme forest ecosystem so much always looking at the new things that could be a good fit for clients i i quickly realized like you just said there's a place called weekly's bestseller in theme forest mm -hmm. and so you see the price of the template it's like 39 dollars, yeah. and then you see 1400 sales this week and you're like hang on a minute yeah 1400 times 39 dollars in one week what yeah it's, it's like ridiculously good amount of money if you want. yeah but i think that's a lure right and i think this is the case in a lot of things where the top one percent makes all of the money you know what i mean it's almost like people that want to go to hollywood being to be a celebrity because I've seen someone that is ridiculously successful, but it's only a very small percentage of the people that make it. And it seems the same with these themes, like the top 10 themes probably make like 90% of the money, you know? And, and I want to say now, now is absolutely the case. Back in the days in 2013, Theme Forest was much smaller, although very big already enough to, to generate sales. And I mentioned my big break is I went from looking at this theme and uses them as a, as a crutch to, hey, maybe Maybe I'm getting good enough with design and HTML and CSS that I can maybe not a WordPress theme, but I can make a template. And I, I tried to do a HTML template for Theme Forest, and I discovered the absolutely ruthless review process. The if if you know anyone who's a Theme Forest author, or if you've tried yourself, you upload the thing thinking, ah, hey, it's not that bad, and you get an email that says this is nowhere near close to what it needs to be to compete in this marketplace. Go learn your craft and come back. And there's no feedback. It's just like bang. <laughs> <laughs> And as everyone, if you go on the forums, you see all these people getting demoralized because it's like I, I've put hours and hours and I thought it was really good. And even if it looks quite good to most people, it's not even close and it's not going to be uh, accepted. And I've tried this process for two, three months to the point where that, eventually... Did that hurt you, Simon? Yes. When you spread oh. that message, did that, was that like a stab in the gut? <laughs> yes, the first one was really stabby. And uh, I thought because, because I was still learning, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely not cut for this. But uh, then I went on the forums and I saw these million dollar making people showing the exact 
exact same email they got. And it's mm-hmm. use this, print it, put it on the wall. And one day you look at it and I didn't print it, but I kept it in my mind. And eventually after three months of fixing a thing and updating, one day it said, the email said, your template has been approved. And I clicked on my profile and it was there and it had already seven sales in the morning. Here's and I was like, question. this is an, a really important question. Yes. Were they right in their initial email that it was not ready? Like, can you look back at it retroactively and be like, you know what? It hurt me at the time, but they were right. They were absolutely right. Yeah, 100%. What was but it? They, what do you think it was? Was it that it didn't have almost like the site builder type thing that a lot of people look for these days? Or what, what were the customizations and options they want? They expect to see? So back then it was my templates. The first one was literally just HTML and CSS with bootstrap. So there wasn't any build tool, gulp or webpack or what have you. Not even minification tool because people use that template to then apply their own processing on it. So uh, it was it was time. mostly design, like uh, the design standards are extremely high. That's why if you go on theme for us, it looks really, really sharp. So stuff like vertical rhythm and typography and spacing, but also the code quality and like organizing the CSS and having comments and a table of content and stuff that kind of you don't need for your own project. But if you sell something and someone buys it and it's like, okay, what's this CSS? It's nice to have like nice table of content at the staff with a little comments on each section. And But I think, this feedback I think wasn't specifically mentioned. That was like just a one-liner. That's not good. Go mm, away. Yeah, and then you yeah. have to, that- to figure it out. <laughs> See, that's unfortunate. I mean, but it is good that you can look back and you can be like, well, you know what? They were actually right because I'm a little bit like, like, obviously no one likes to hear this isn't good enough or anything other than praise. Like no one likes it. I don't like it, but I'm, I'm kind of used to it because being a photography major, every two weeks we had to put our work up on the wall and the teacher and other students would like tear it apart, you know? (laughs) And at some point you just kind of have to get over it and be like, well, you know, this sucks, but I am learning from it. And I think that everyone likes to hear, you know, good job and that type of thing. And I think it's important to be supportive, but also I don't think I've ever really gotten better from someone saying good job, but I have gotten better when people have given me specific, useful criticism. And it's unfortunate that the criticism you got was so general, it wasn't really specific. Yeah. So the 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 background is that there's so many applications that they just can't give a yeah. very specific feedback to everyone. And it's kind of, it's like, hey, it's a marketplace. You can find the information in the forums or on the web, go figure it out and then keep trying. We're not going to handhold you, which is, it's fair enough because there's a lot of application. And what do they owe you? You know, do they owe you a detailed explanation? I mean, probably not. It would be like if you went to a company to apply for a job, they may or may not give you a detailed explanation of why they wouldn't hire you. They provide an incredibly huge platform and they take 30% of the sales and you make 70%. That's, I think that's when you reach a certain amount of sales. It starts at 50-50. But anyway, that's what they provide. And they're like, you don't like it you don't have to sell it we have enough templates and yeah that's no it makes sense yeah but, so where'd you uh, go from I just, here i got seven sales and then that was october and i was like huh seven sales and my html templates are, are cheaper it was like 12 bucks so that was like mm-hmm. maybe just mm-hmm. under a hundred dollars but i was like i went to sleep and i woke up and i made a hundred bucks which is cool but the next thing which is even cooler is the next day someone say hey i love this template i bought it and would you be interested in doing consulting work to actually implement it since you know it better than anyone nice and i was like this person was from canada and i was like i'm in australia and i just landed a new client which is already convinced that i'm the right person so 
I don't have to pitch and do like portfolio, like just the whole dance to try to, to get them to trust me. They came to me. And this is when I was like, wow, this is how I reach people. I don't just go put Facebook ads or go put flyers in the city or whatever I can try. I just do good work and put it there. And this platform sells a bit, but also brings a massive sort of street credibility to me. And yeah, so that's right. I, you get notoriety from it. And they're kind of doing the the audition process for you. Yeah. yeah. And what happened next is now that I saw Tommy's tweet with the the success he had, I kind of wish I doubled down because my <laughs> my second template could have been me. That could have been me. <laughs> My second template landed on the weekly's most popular sales stuff. And it for this week, it sold about 40, 50 times every day. It was like crazy. It, I just wow. made a couple of thousand dollars in the week. Wow. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, this is, I found my way, my niche. I'm going to make a third one. And I put all my focus on the third one, mm. which by the time when it was ready, the other one had dropped out of the weekly most popular and stopped selling that crazy. Mm. And in retrospect, I should have, while you have the attention of people and you're there, you just keep adding little features and updates and do the best customer service you can to stay in that uh, weekly top seller. And I understood uh -huh. later that the theme forest game is all about getting to that page. And then when you're there, you do everything. If you need to hire people to just produce more stuff quickly. And this is what Tommy did. He's got a team, all the, the theme for his top authors. They hire people for support and they just build a business around this presence that they never want to leave. Yeah, it's all about being at the top. And I've seen that mistake made and I've made that mistake in the past, but I've seen lots of other people make that mistake with products of all different kinds. You know, they'll develop a whole bunch of different products. One of them will, will take. And instead of focusing on that product and doubling down on that, they'll be like, oh, I'm now a genius at creating products. I'm just going to make create another one. And then the next one co goes off, like goes down like a, a fart in church. You know what I mean? That's what happened. Yeah, yeah. I thought $2,000 in one week. So if I do four templates, it's like $8,000 in a week and I'm sweet. <laughs> and yeah. that's that's the wrong approach. I just thought quantity would be would bring this yeah, nice lesson. No, I get learned, it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a tempting thing, right? It really is tempting. And part of it is just, you're just like, well, now I know how to build product. So I'll just build another one. Yeah. And part of it, you have to be willing to relinquish your ego and be like, you know, part of it was just really good timing. I'm going to keep riding this wave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, this was the, the pivotal moment because this client in Canada was not just a fluke. It kept happening. And I, I started mm. having global people reaching out to make some work. And I thought I, I actually did freelance for a couple of years and I was doing pretty well. And I never it never crossed my mind to get into corporate or like a proper job with a contract and holiday leave and all that stuff. But well, who needs uh, a proper job, Simon? You're like, I'm making thousands. I'm a genius. Right. Yeah. But I somehow still got lulled into that thing, which ended up being great but uh you had matt baron on the podcast a couple of episodes ago which mm -hmm. we we successfully pushed out of the industry now obviously <laughs> <laughs> I, that's all on you i had nothing to do but, with that yeah but Matt was design director at a company called Society One, which had an offshore team that built their website. And he was like, ah, we need an in-house front-end dev that's really good with design. And his company was like, oh, let's put ads on Seek and LinkedIn and all this stuff. And he was like, no, no, I like, I want to find someone who's in the, no one that's really, really good is necessarily going to apply for jobs there. Like we got to go mm. find them. And, and he thought, hey, I'm going to look at this team forest stuff. And he saw my profile and saw that I lived in Sydney in a suburb right next 
next to his and he legit say, hey, do you want to grab scrambled eggs, have breakfast? I have a, I love your work and I have an interesting thing to discuss. Hmm. And we pretty much immediately clicked and became really good friends. And I ended up uh, becoming the, the front end lead at Society One and worked really, really close to, to Matt. I started as a contractor since I was a freelancer and I eventually got sucked into the whole holiday and leave and stuff and got a full-time contract. But this lasted for a couple of years and I worked really close to Matt. So I learned design and this is the part that we talked at the start where we moved the site to Craft CMS and I started hanging out in the craft slack. And every single time I asked a question, the same guy called Cal Watts back then would, uh, would be like, yeah, this is how you do it and give me tips and consistently, God, how consistently help. Yeah, like just how annoying. taking over the whole thing. <laughs> that Cal Watt guy never slept, so it matched up with your time zones or at least when the internet works in your time zone. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, during the, during the working internet time zone. So that was the most incredible thing is that I knew he lived in New York State and he would be up at in Australia's afternoon, like late work when you're 5, 6 p.m. in Australia and he's still up there and it's like, hang on, it's probably 4, 5 in the morning where you live. What Do you sleep? <laughs> on, a, on occasion, I sleep. But, you know, where in this timeline, we got we to gotta talk about it, Simon. Where in this timeline did you create the React training videos that you put on YouTube? I think that happened just after, but it's, um, yeah, so that's, that's a good point. This job, and I think Andrew can concur, they didn't really know how much efficiency Matt and I, because we worked really close, design and dev together, and we both kind of coded and designed, and we were in incredibly productive and really fast. And that was a slow-moving corporation, so there was a lot of time where we weren't really utilized properly and I myself spend a lot of time teaching myself other stuff like React and Vue and design and all this sort of stuff and I ended up out of motivation creating a YouTube channel where I thought hey, I'm still completely beginner, but I may as well. I've learned everything from the community and from forums and from YouTube videos. I'm self-taught and I feel like it's time to somewhat give back to the community. And uh, I, I created this YouTube channel thinking no one's going to watch it. Like if one or 10 people watch a video, it's awesome. And very quickly, I had like a thousand subscribers saying, oh my God, this is the best uh, React training on uh, on YouTube. Like how how do you have not uh, more followers and stuff? I had like I, I didn't really understand that I was actually putting a lot of effort in editing, which turns out to be the thing. People on YouTube tend to hit yeah. record and do like a forty five minute video, and I, my my trip was like dev tips in ninety seconds. So I had Jade and Pug template series, and then React series, and every video was like a minute thirty max, which I extended to three minutes later. But that was really really short, and I think it it resonated pretty well. Which if you know anything about Egghead.io. I didn't know at the time, but I had the exact format that they promote, which is straight to the point. The introduction is in the title and in the page context. You don't need to say, hey, my name is Simon. And blah, blah. they already know that. And they want to know what the title of the video says and go straight to the point. And because I had that format, somehow someone at Egghead say, hey, would you like to become an Egghead instructor and teach your stuff there? Which <laughs> uh, Egghead is uh, something that seems completely out of reach to me because it's only library developer, like really, really famous, accomplished dev. And then here I am in the middle of them. And <laughs> All right. It's time for real talk, though, Simon. So I knew yeah. you for a couple of years before I even knew that these React videos were a thing. I had no idea you can create it. And I stumbled upon them. And I'm like, what the hell? Simon doesn't know React. Like, what, what the... <laughs> What is he doing producing these videos? And I'm not doing it. I'm not saying this to like dunk on you at all, because I know that you're a super experienced React developer now. Now. But let's be honest, when you were producing these videos, you didn't really know React, right? <laughs> 
I mean, you had proof because I was telling you, hey, I'm learning that new thing, React, it's really cool. And then literally a couple of weeks or a month later, I had these lessons on the internet, which proved I, I had that much experience that I had just started. But uh, I think this is a really good discussion to have because I personally think that you don't need to be an absolute expert at something, especially if you teach beginner level stuff. All my series are always beginner introduction to something. And I think I've spent enough time learning how to teach at university and all these elements of that's right bringing someone the interest and excitement to learn something is another skill than the actual if you watch my react series it's it, there's no thing about performance and re-render cycles it, it's it's the basics and i think right. i teach it really well and you don't have to be an expert for that but you raise a really good point though a really really good point which is that being able to teach and being able to communicate is a totally different skill and is something that is needed in any kind of a training video, right? Like you could, I could name you a number of developers that know React super well, but they would make terrible, terrible training videos. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so I think it's, it's definitely true that you kind of need that. And the other thing is, if you're trying to teach beginner stuff, there are certain things that if you're not also there, it's actually difficult to do. Like there, mm -hmm. I, I even find this sometimes it's difficult to teach certain concepts because you're just, well, I don't even know what it means to be a beginner at this stuff yep. anymore. There's and you don't have separation. that context. You can't yep. teach it. Yeah. But there is, there is the other side of it though, which is that there are a decent number of people in the industry that are either giving talks or training videos, not all, I mean, there's some that are incredibly well-skilled, don't get me wrong, but that their skill is more in presenting and they would never get hired to do the thing that they're teaching. Do you know what I mean? Like they would they would get hired to teach the thing, but they wouldn't get hired to do the thing. I It's probably imposter syndrome kicking in, but I kind of feel like I'm one of these person where I'm very good at teaching and upskilling other people. But I because I'm self-taught, I will always have that perception that I have missing elite skills or where I really, really master the thing. You don't now, though. You've been doing you've been doing like serious rack development for a while. Like you know your shit. I said it's imposter thing. I think it's because I'm self-taught that I'm like, there's no way I have all the little computer science stuff, which I don't, but I don't think they're all necessary. And yeah, I like you said, we've all seen a conference talk where someone uh, is a bit awkward and just reads bullet oh. points from the documentation and you're like, okay, like it certainly knows the topic really well, but I didn't really learn or feel like going right. and playing with this technology just after the that's right. That's right. And that's a perfectly valid thing. The kind of person that you want presenting someone, they don't need to be an expert. They need to be a good communicator and they need to be a good presenter and they need to be someone that has enthusiasm and can teach your, you know, keep your attention. But they don't need to be the person that you would hire to actually grind it out and do it. I think yeah. the, the perfect testament to that is I now work at a consultancy called ThinkMill, which is very, very specifically focused on React and very good at React and mm -hmm. involve embedded in the React ecosystem, like the lot of uh, open source software that we built, some like Emotion, CSS in JS, or Keystone, which is a, a JavaScript, Node.js, CMS. Uh, we, we, at the core, everything we do is by design within the React ecosystem. And it's the most, by far, the most talented team I've ever been in. And everyone is talented in React. And we have provided training workshop for advanced team in Atlassian, which is a very big company worldwide. And who's teaching these workshops? Jed Watson the founder of ThinkMill and myself, Simon. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, guys, I'm probably one of the least experienced in React at the scale of ThinkMill, but it feels like the whole company thinks I'm the perfect person to teach it, which goes to show that it's a different set of skills to get an audience engaged and interested and active. 
rather than being so good that you you just forget where people are on the journey to learn and it's harder to reach their their problems. Yeah, that's totally right. I mean, Marion, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on this because I know that you've been in the industry a long time and I'm sure you've seen your your share of conferences. I mean, you you must kind of well, what's your opinion on this in terms of the skills that you need to teach versus the skills that you need to be the one that implements it and does the thing? I think that's absolutely true that that being good at doing something doesn't necessarily mean that you're at all good at explaining it even to other mm. people who are also good at it and being able to explain something to people who are not good at it it mean you have to be able to remember the take into account the things that are still difficult when you're just learning something and you also it takes a certain amount of of uh I don't know humility or or at least there there are people who want to show you how much they know about something by making sure that when they explain it to you it goes all right over your head mm-hmm. and uh that's They're not so how proud of their cleverness yeah well they want to make sure that you know about their cleverness yes 100% and, i agree with that yeah so so to be to be willing to explain things in a way that other people can understand is very valuable and i think it's an interesting intersection in that the the type of person who is very good at programming and the type of person that is very good at presenting and teaching are are usually very different people and i think it's a rare human being that is a kind of a mixture of those two things that is someone who is both good at communicating and teaching and also good at the nitty-gritty programming aspect of things. And Simon, I think you're one of those people. I really do. And I think that that might be why Egghead saw value in you and ThinkMill sees value in you, is that you occupy this nexus position kind of in the middle between communicator, teacher, and developer. You know what I mean? Thanks, man. That means a lot coming from you. Uh, it, it's funny because when I moved to web dev, I was like, oh, I've spent seven years at university learning how to teach, and now it's useless for my new job. Uh, when I was doing freelance work with small clients, the, the teaching part didn't really resonate unless I was teaching someone how to use like the admin panel or something like this. But it's only now later when I started full cycling back to teaching that I was like, hang on. That, that's a skill that many, many developers didn't learn how to develop. And it's actually super mm-hmm. useful for my career now. Yeah, I thought I was starting right from scratch again when I was like 25 years old. But actually, <laughs> I had a head start, which is really good. And this is something that Matt has talked about with us quite a bit, Matt Stein is that generalists are more prepared for things than people who are just specialists at one particular thing because a lot of these little skills that you learn come into play in places where you might not expect. And development especially is something where you are constantly learning new things. If you know how to teach something, very often you also know how to learn it, right? And that must help you. Yeah, and to actually be able to teach it, you need to learn a little deeper level than you you Mm -hmm. think you would initially. And that sums up pretty much my mindset right now. I I am not fluent in any of these things, but I can build a site in Gatsby and Next and Nuxt and Gridsum and Svelte and 11T recently I've played with. And if if you've seen lately, I've uh, released a course on Egghead on Alpine JS, and I literally discovered Alpine JS on the podcast here a couple of months ago, and I played with it, and I was like, this is really cool, and it's easy to pick up, and I think I can make good content out of it while I learn it. And teaching becomes the the reason 
reason why to learn something and then have a little product that you ship to the world and a good excuse to learn a new technology. So that's a great way to to stay up to scratch with the industry is going and make some sort of side income slash, again, street credibility. Being on Egghead, when I drop that in an interview, it's like, oh, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Well, everyone is just like, he must know what he's talking about because he's a teacher. Now, this is something that a lot of people may not realize, but Rakliotis in Swiss, that actually means shiny object. Is that correct? Totally correct. Yeah. Did you translate? So, and one of these shiny objects that I remember you kind of ranting about when I kind of was first getting to know you was utility first CSS, specifically uh-huh. tachyons. Yep. And this is the, the kind of thing where you you kind of went crazy with this and you refactored a whole site using tachyons and then you did a, an egghead course on it. And then I told you, I'm like, Simon, just submit a damn application to talk it at dot all. And you're like, I'm doing a talk at dot all, right? <laughs> you're doing all that. You're doing all this stuff with utility first CSS. We have someone on the podcast mm-hmm. that thought I utility first CSS was a a bad thing. Mm. Patrick, well, would, you like part of it. would you like to explain yourself to well, Simon? Maybe what? maybe get on your knees and beg forgiveness. Uh, I mean, like you say, there was a time in my life when I couldn't tell if some technology was really exploding onto the scene and the new hotness and everyone needs to learn it, or if Simon was just excited about it because my Twitter <laughs> timeline would just explode with tachyons here and there and i'm like any all anyone is talking about is tachyons and, and the next thing you know i'm like wait we treated by simon swiss retreated by simon swiss liked by simon swiss I'm like okay okay oh, it's um, just him. Yeah, it's just simon. <laughs> it was really i didn't know what was real anymore and what was popular but I still, I don't remember why I don't like tachyons. I continue to not like tachyons. It was too granular for me and too almost atomic. I really changed my mind about Tailwind as soon as we played with it even a little bit. I don't know what it was about Tailwind that felt so different for me from tachyons, but I think there's a reason that it's done so well and tachyons is still a valuable piece of technology and I think, you know, got people towards towards Tailwind, but maybe didn't have the staying power and I think part of that is Adam Wathen and the way that he can produce accompanying teaching stuff. And that goes back to what you're saying, Simon, about putting mm-hmm. out content and promoting and you know helping people become awesome at the technology that you're putting out into the world is pretty important. And you, you can't just make a great technology and expect it to do well without a lot of good backing. And, and that's certainly what Tailwind has had. And yes, I, I, we're, I'm now a believer in the, uh, in the utility way of doing things. Oh, I have this mental image, Simon, uh-huh. of you standing with one leg on top of Patrick's <laughs> chest, thrusting a sword in victory up into the sky. <laughs> I I must say I listened to the last episode on uh, Stitch's CSS, and every time Patrick was talking about Tailwind, it's such praise. I, I remember <laughs> the Slack discussions about. I knew every time I would bring Tachyons to Slack, I would get some a heckle from Patrick. <laughs> It was just I had been gaslit into believing that Tachyons was taking over the world, but it was really, it was just you. Uh, (laughs) I made the impression. (laughs) No, but I I think you make a phone. I think you make a really good point, which is that, you know, a lot of what is in Tailwind is very similar to Tachyons and a lot of what's in Tachyons came from Bootstrap and all these things have been around for a while. But what really matters is not the idea, it's the implementation. And I think Adam did a combination of nailing the implementation because he did a really good job with the implementation in Tailwind and the way it, for me, the thing I loved about it is that there's a config file that will generate the thing for you. Whereas at least at the time, Tachyons was like, well, here's your stuff. And I know that that's changed. But the other thing, in addition to nailing that implementation, is that Adam had built up an audience from 
a lot of the work that he'd done in Laravel and was able to parlay that and promote it. And, you know, the combination of the two is why Tailwind, I think, kind of took off. You know, it's it's not the idea. A lot of people think, and I've seen people tweet about this, mm-hmm. the, the ideas are super important. No, no. What matters is how well you do at implementing the idea and how many people's problems it solves. You know, what do you think, Simon? I think that's completely right. Uh, one thing I love is the, the thing that gets people loving Tailwind and they're like, oh, see, that's different than the Tachyons. And Andrew, you were one of them, is that it has this at apply thing that lets yeah. you com- compose utilities in your CSS. Mm. Yeah. If you if you talk to Adam Wathen or a lot of people that use Tailwind, it's actually almost that onboarding thing that you provide this for people that are skeptical, like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. not putting all my class names, the visual concerns in my HTML, no way. I want a separation of concerns, traditional Zen Garden way. And you lull them into that and then they're like, oh, actually, maybe I'll use this for a button or form element, but I don't think I want to reproduce all my CSS this way because once you try the utility approach in your HTML and you just build stuff really fast and when you look at the HTML you actually see how it looks because your mind understands the the class names you can compose the the styles in your head you stop using that much and I think it's an incredibly good example of how thoughtful Adam and Steve and Jonathan and people behind Tailwind were Mm -hmm. bringing this onboarding experience and in the documentation making clear hey you don't have to go all out you can sometimes abstract components but themselves I don't think they use it that much but it it goes to show how much understanding the audience and where they come from and empathy empathy is the keyword in teaching all sort of stuff I think the approach was different and that's what led to this major uptake uh, compared to Tachyons, which to, yeah. to the defense of the people in Tachyons, I don't think they were trying to ship something that everyone used. It was an experiment in terms of performance, and then they put it out there open source and somehow maintained it, but moved to the next thing. And it led to things like style system. And if you follow Brent Jackson, the sort of stuff they do, that's that's the people that kind of were in this field where Tailwind was approached as a product that's going to be marketed and supported. Right. And, yeah. and I saw Brent Jackson put out, put out a, a tweet that was an apology for creating Tachyons. Like, I thought that <laughs> He's like, yeah, sorry. Here's here's a, a better you know end way to do it or whatever. No, I think you're right. I remember Adam saying that when I was first approaching Tailwind and saying, yeah, you can use that apply, but you're probably going to find you don't use it that much. And I was like, yeah, whatever. He didn't know what he's talking about. But he was totally right. Like it ends up being that the ad apply is kind of like the I don't know, like the chloroform of the. Uh, <laughs> The utility CSS world yeah, in that carrot that you follow in, yeah, yeah it just lures you in. You know, it's just the kind of thing you're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I, as long as I have this thing, I'm, I'm happy. But you, let's not talk about it, Mary. <laughs> No, but it, I'm just going to say, if, you, if you're on your second or third Tailwind site and you're still using AdApply, like really you need to break that habit. It's not helping you. It's you know, you've been lulled in by the chloroform and, and it's <laughs> you need to let go. It, you can do better without it. I just want to say one thing, though. Andrew casually dropped the fact that he said, hey, you should submit your talk because, yeah, for a year, uh, there was a lot of complexity and growing and decision making at uh, Society One, which made the BAM CSS become really, really, really hard to maintain mm. and I ended up uh, rebuilding the whole thing in Tachyons and if you've seen my talk at dot all, this is what it was all about so I'm not going to cover this now but when Andrew said hey there's he literally said this is the last day to submit your 
talk at Dot Hall. It closes today at 5 p.m. Just saying you should apply. Like, what are, what are you going to lose? Just apply and then go back to work. And I was like... I, yeah, I was like berating huh? you. I kept on telling you to do it. And then I finally was like, this is the last day, Simon. <laughs> yeah, and on that last day, I was like, you know what? He's right. Like, I had written a blog series on Medium on the refactoring and it went really, really, really popular. And I was like, people want this content. And I was like, oh, I guess I'll supply, I'll su- apply for this talk. And I thought maybe in a couple of weeks, there's an answer. And the next morning, I had this this email from Leah saying, hey, congratulations, you've been selected as a speaker in Berlin in 2018. And I was like, what? Oh, my God. And I was so annoyed, Patrick. I was so annoyed because I was very happy for Simon, but I had submitted three talks and heard nothing. Mm. I was like, what the hell? Are you gonna, you, you gotta don't be have kidding his me. accent or looks. Let's be honest here. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I mean, your, your family, your entire family, Simon. Like most, He's a Calvin Klein underwear model. Photographic yeah. people I've ever seen in my life. It's not yeah. It's not cool. It's not fair. Yeah. Included you him. want to comment on your career? You never, actually, it's weird. In this whole journey, you didn't touch on your time as a Calvin Klein underwear model. What's mm. the deal? This is how I funded the six months of web development <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. All right. So fair enough. So now we're at Society One and you ended up leaving there and then going to work somewhere else. And then you ended up coming back to work for Society One. You're like a bad penny that wouldn't go away. And then you ended up doing something completely different at ThinkMill, right? Yeah. So I, I believe everything is little milestones in your career where you, you get your luck. Some people call it luck and some people call it, uh, well, I made sure that I was at the right place at the right time and things like this. So my first luck was this Theme Forest uh, template. And the second one, to be honest, uh, is Andrew telling me to apply to .all and getting selected because craft.all is not the biggest conference in the world. There's huge conferences, but I have never seen many talks that get shared as much as the talk I did because it's such a controversial topic. Mm. And I think I've put a lot of effort in really trying to take people again with this empathy on a journey from where they would come from if they haven't seen it and then tell them I was right there with them. And I was like, this is stupid. I don't want to use this. And then my journey kind of showed the way that actually helps you mentally do the step. And I still now, like every week or so, I see someone sharing this talk and say, oh my God, this, this was the thing that converted me mm-hmm. and it has done the next good thing for my career in terms of uh, credibility so now I have Theme Forest, Egghead and a talk that uh, that does the round on Twitter and I think all the combination of these things plus me doing a bit more public speaking in local meetups led to this another person you had on the podcast Dominic, Dominic Wilkowski mm-hmm. which tapped my shoulder one day at a meetup and said hey would you like to come teach React at Think Mill and I was like Think Mill when you live in Sydney is it's like the holy grail of uh, React if you're into React, the Think Mill is everywhere behind every meetup event. All the, the big companies will hire Think Mill because they're the experts in Australia, I'd say. And for them to come and tap my door and say, hey, do you want to come work with us? I was, again, imposter thing. I was like, I don't belong there, but I believe actually I do. And this all these things that I've done to bring to the next milestone led to, to me joining Think Mill, which is where I work up to this date. So I want to talk about your speech a little bit. A lot of people may yeah. hear this and be like, oh, you know, it was just kind of luck. Like he submitted it at the last minute and he just happened to get picked and he went out there and did this thing. But I think it's actually a really, really good example of the fact that things that look lucky, like you really have to prepare yourself for it, right? I think there's a famous quote, which is the reason most people don't recognize opportunity is that when they meet it, it usually is wearing overalls and looks like hard work. And I'm not, I'm not even sure who that quote is from, but the point is that 
the reason your talk was so good is you you spent a crap load of time mm-hmm. working on it and practicing it, right? Like you didn't just get up there and just start speaking, right? You spent an incredible amount of time thinking about the story, crafting it and practicing it. And changing it and changing it again. Mm-hmm. I, I remember Matt Barron giving me some banter because two months before the conference, I was in our Slack. I was like, oh, I got it down to 50 minutes. I need to cut two or three topics and it's going to be perfectly 45 minutes. And he was like, it's two months before the conference and you already rehearsed the full 50 minute talk. And I was like, oh, yeah, I... I my strategy was actually to do it only once a day. And I think that's a good tip for anyone who wants to get in public speaking. No more than once a day and without speaker notes. And right. what, it, what it does is it makes you wing it, but wing it enough times that you eventually land on really nice transitions and a nice human non-robotic story. So if you have speaker notes, you learn your speaker notes. And before you know, it turns into this monotone robotic delivery. Yeah. Where My practice every day once would be a little bit different. And then I was like, oh, I like how I just transition brought that next slide like this and I would my brain would remember that for the next time and if you do that it takes time but if you do that for two three weeks before the talk eventually you get to a point where the slides I mean I, I wanted my slides because they look good but if the slide went off I could tell my story a cappella pretty much the whole thing and without having to try to remember the words because it's just a story that you told so many times that it becomes just natural right and also the written word is different from the spoken word in terms of what comes off well so the fact that you're practicing it without notes you're kind of trying to do it conversationally, which is exactly what you want, right? You want to be able to get up there. And if your notes, you know, were burned in a fire, like you'd be able to give the whole thing, no problem. And it probably also helped from a confidence point of view, like you you had it memorized back in front. Yeah. So the confidence thing is huge. There's a factor that actually plays in my in my favor but I'm extremely nervous when I do public speaking like even now for this podcast this morning I was like oh my god <laughs> uh, but what it does is it brings adrenaline and energy and maybe if I looked at my talk at Dodo I paced the see the stage non-stop left right because of the nerves and I shouldn't do this but the rest it brings a lot of energy in my delivery which I think is why it connects with people rather than just looking at the slide and just being boring but I'm extremely nervous so I wanted to be really really prepared so work Worst case scenario, even if I'm in total panic mode inside, I can deliver the stuff like I'm natural. And I've seen so many people saying, you are so comfortable on stage. It's like you, you natural speaker. And I was like, dude, I was freaking out. Like I couldn't <laughs> even see the front row. I know Andrew yeah. was at the front row and the Jake Dome and a few friendly faces. And all I could see was a blur of panic. And I was like, I know they're here, <laughs> but I was, I was losing myself. And there's, I haven't done it and I'm glad, but there's a couple of times if I watch the talk again, I know exactly because I knew what was happening in my head. I was, I thought for a split second, oh, I'm going to run off the stage and just go like that's I'm panicking. But the level of preparation and yeah, just meant that I could deliver it in a really nice, natural way. So Simon, has anyone approached you to give a talk on a topic that you have no experience with whatsoever? Um... Not a talk, but actually I have done, I've subscribed to combat that fear. I've subscribed to, we have this uh, Seed CSS, which is a CSS meetup in Sydney, as the name tells. And the Christmas version was no preparation. Just sign up and you get your topic 15 minutes before you go on stage. And I was like, I'm doing it, but this is the absolute worst for me because I hate no preparation. And I went through the blender. That was really tough. Yeah. The reason I, I did well, it. again, I did really well. And everyone's like, oh my God, you're like so friendly. And I won the, the award 
award of the best speech, but I think it's because I brought my kids and it was too cute and you couldn't like not give the trophy to my kid. <laughs> so I kind of cheated. But inside, again, my wife was like, you signed up for fun and you're freaking out. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's tough. <laughs> now, the reason I, I mentioned it is, I mean, there are some like we've seen, quote unquote, celebrity developers that have been asked to give speeches without knowing the topic at all and admitting that they don't know the topic at all and then just going up and presenting. And that aspect of the whole conference circuit irritates me. I mean, it's fine. You know, they may be very good presenters. They may be very good communicators, but you can find someone that is both a very good communicator and knows the subject matter really well. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to find someone who doesn't know anything at, at all about it. In any event, so you're at Think Mill and now y- you went from just throwing dodgeballs at kids' heads and now you're, you're doing React training now? Yeah, and it was senior advanced level React training for Atlassian, mm. which is in the React world is possibly after Facebook, the second or third biggest React application out there. It's huge. Mm. Jira is like an absolute beast. And you're training them on it. Isn't that fun when you're like, all you people are so smart. How how am I the one training you? That I, I hate that feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm glad I had Jed. Jed Watson is quite accomplished in React. So when the hard questions, because when you do a senior workshop that is two day long, there is really hard at scale questions like what happens with this pattern when there's six thousand <laughs> nodes, and I'm uh, Jed. <laughs> so it, I think that was a really good a really good combo of me delivering the energetic delivery and fun and some warm up drills and and then some a bit more advanced stuff. And then the second day was deep dive and Jed was there to really answer the, the question. But also Jed was working with that teams and that code base where I was I was from ThinkMill and I was teaching Atlassian devs without seeing the Atlassian code bases as much as I, I should to be able to teach like specifics of their problem space. We try to teach React concepts and composition models and fundamentals rather than the specific problems that are bound to the business logic of a specific team. Simon, I mean, you are exemplary Amplifying something that I have said for a very long time, which is that you are what you do. So if you find something that interests you and you just start applying yourself to it and you start doing it, like you become that thing, right? So you just kind of became a web developer because you were interested in it. Absolutely. You you became a person of notoriety when it comes to utility CSS because you were interested in it and you did a whole refactoring in it. And then you started teaching other people about it and spreading the word about it. Same thing with with Vue.js and with React. I mean, you became what you did. And I think that's why it's really important for people to seek out things that interest them and just start doing them. And I think you do a really good job with that because you're constantly looking for stuff that interests you and then you just start doing it. Yeah. And I to, to add to this, I think it's not given to everyone and some people like to keep private and it's fine, but I really, really recommend to do this thing. I think Swix uh, on mm. Twitter, Sean Wang, just promotes this work in public, learn in public thing. And yep. he says sometimes like the quickest way to know, like if you're not sure, should I use this pattern or not? Don't ask, just say, hey, this is how I do it. And Twitter will tell you if this is the wrong way to do it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's the quickest way to learn anything is to give people the opportunity to tell you how wrong you are. And uh, I've never met Swix in person, but if you, if you, the vibe I get from his career is he is similarly to me. He transitioned from a different industry, yep. and because he's so open and public about things, he's going places like really rapidly. He yes. built a really nice little career for himself. Yeah, no, for sure. And he's a super nice guy, and he applies himself super hard. So I mean, of course you're going to go places if, if this is the case. Yeah. So Marion, before we uh, you know wrap up, and I'll give Patrick a chance too. But did you have anything that you wanted to to run by Simon? Or, or ask him. I know I've totally monopolized him. That's okay. I think I need to listen to that dot all conference again because I am still not there with the utility CSS. 
but uh, that's okay. Yeah. And also now I know how to prepare for a talk is practice it once a day starting two months out. Yeah, you have to start early, but it's it's a good way to practice if, yeah. if you can. Afford. I, th I think that's the way to get good at anything is to practice it. That's what I tell my kids. Um, I told my kids, like, you can do anything if you practice it. You don't practice, you're not going to get good at mm -hmm. it. That's what I tell them. You know, it's the way it is. What do you think, Patrick? Do you have any uh, you have any apologies you want to send Simon's way? I, I apologize for nothing. I have no regrets. Um <laughs> If I had jumped on tachyons, that would have taken off and we wouldn't have tailwind. So, you know, there, there you go. <laughs> Wait That's a minute. Are you saying, are you saying you're the reason why this took uh, off? Yeah. Well, maybe a thought leader in the space. I may have oh uh, my. attracted. You know. Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> no, I do think. <laughs> uh, no, I, I wanted to, I know, uh, I hope Sam, Sam Hernandez, who I know loves the Stoics is listening. I know, you know, the quote you had, it goes even further back. You know, Seneca says, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Mm, okay. um, nice. That, I mean, is kind of the, probably one of That's the first, it. you know, the, the Stoic version of that. And people have, yeah, it kind of remixed that and made it more modern, but it goes back thousands of years, that idea that, it, you know, luck, it, you have to put in the work for first and then look for that opportunity. 100%. And one thing I'm wondering, Simon, where do you think are places where there could be opportunity for people who know a technology really well or have been doing craft for a while? Is it is YouTube still fertile ground for that sort of thing? What, what do you think people could, if they wanted to do like you've done, where, where would you point them towards? There's a person I always point people towards and most people will listen to one clip and hate that person. His name is Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary mm -hmm. V yep. on all social media. <laughs> Very high and energy. if you watch if you watch one thing, he comes off as the most douchey, cocky, <laughs> motivational speaker yep. asshole. Like he knows it and he, he he actually rides that wave quite well. But essentially he's a very, very accomplished business person and he's all about kindness and empathy and accountability and stop making excuses. And his message is consistently put content out there. Just create content. Even if you he actually helps people by saying documents don't create so you're like oh i don't know what i can teach just document your journey say hey i'm a noob i'm learning typescript i have no idea what i'm doing but i'm do gonna do a live stream or like some post and take you on the journey and hopefully in three to six months i'm actually pretty good and if you follow that you first of all you stop wor worrying about people judging you because you said hey i don't know what i'm doing so you come clear there and you people actually would love to do this so that when they see someone who puts themselves out there like this they're like oh i'm gonna follow that person because that's what I I, I kind of feel like and it's nice to um, yeah they 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 kind of embrace this because you show the human side so I wouldn't say YouTube is the best platform or LinkedIn literally go and try all sort of things and mm -hmm. the more content you put out there the more likely one of them will strike I'm myself because of Gary V I'm trying to do some TikTok uh, web development content because it's a platform <laughs> nice. that, that goes up and it's it's actually quite fun and I don't know what's the way to then stream these people back to my egghead or personal sites ways but this shows that anything that you try can work i would still say probably youtube and writing blogs and twitter really is the platform where web development starts and oh are you God. simon Next. swiss on on tiktok for the kids who uh, have tiktok i am simon swiss on everything but on tiktok there's another one so i had to go oh. underscore simon swiss oh my god how could there be more than one uh, you know for everyone who's listening i think that simon is probably running out of air in his car 
<laughs> he's been sealed up in this thing. I think the air is kind of cutting off there. And there is a bunch should, of fog on the windows. Yeah, we we should probably yeah, be probably a police officer is going to be tapping on the window soon. So I think we should wrap it up. But I think it's important to note that Gary V is also the guy that got Simon in, involved and kind of set off his career as a Calvin Klein underwear model. So it's kind of <laughs> a little bit of a connection there. So Simon, we are doing something that in the entire history of doing this show of devmo.fm I have never done before, which is we're going back. And we're adding something after the fact, after we've recorded it, because speaking of this whole hero's journey kind of thing that you've been on, something kind of cool happened to you. Why don't you tell everybody? Yeah, something pretty cool happened. And it's quite funny because it happened in the exact same car at the exact same time, five in the morning next to the same exact antenna. And Whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little worried. Were any, you know prostitutes involved? Was any police? Like I'm a little worried something happened. What happened None of in that this car? All- all very, very legal and nice. What happened is when Patrick said that quote about Seneca, I think luck is when preparation meets opportunity is pretty much right. exactly what happened. And I had a discussion with the folks at Tailwind UI about a potential position for me, uh, which I think I've been preparing for all these years. And when the opportunity came, uh, the discussion started and it's not official yet, but by the time the podcast comes out, it will be. I have been offered a position as a second employee at Tailwind UI, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> so yeah, so this is Adam Watham and Steve Shoger, and the, the basically the folks behind Tailwind CSS who then created this Tailwind UI thing and then they're making money hands over fist and now they've invited you to be employee number what? Two. Number two. Which is pretty cool. My God. Oh my God. That's amazing. And you're just sitting there like, you know what? I've been preparing for this my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of how it feels like it's the first reaction. I mean, it was a, a, a fairly long discussion, but the first reaction was like, it's not even true. That's a dream. What's happening? Mm. But then thinking about it, I've been putting the effort and the work and the passion into it. It's pretty obvious. I'm uh, very, very into utility first CSS and Tailwind and it didn't happen by accident, I'd say. Right. I mean, that's amazing. That is really cool because I remember I was there when you were going crazy with this utility thing and it was a different product that we won't speak about. I know that Adam doesn't Mm -hmm. like the T word, so we're not going to go there. (laughs) But I was there when you were going crazy, like doing all this stuff. And now to see the it kind of, and it's actually even crazy that Tailwind then ended up becoming as popular as it is and Tailwind UI ended up becoming so popular that he even could form a company to add you on, right? I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think Adam and Steve are very excited about the fact that they can actually now have some budget to pay people and maintain it and do it full time to just make the product better and better. Wow, that's really cool. So what is your role going to be as employee number two at Tailwind UI? So we still, I haven't started yet, as I said, and we're still defining all this, but... No, 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 we're, we're in the future. Okay, okay. so we're, we're probably a couple of weeks, so you've already started. So what, ha- what are you doing? So I guess the sort of work I would be doing would be around community, some education material, videos, some examples, probably build a bunch of Tailwind UI uh, new components and blocks, and also help with the the other side of the community, which is open source, GitHub issues, the Discord channel, stuff like that. That's really cool. So kind of a DevRel, but you're also going to be building stuff, right? So you're going to be building stuff in various frameworks, like these component blocks and that type of thing? Yeah. So, well, the role is product and community engineer. So it's it's really the, the two facets, which I think is my unique skill set. I'm a developer but also have people skills and community skills and bringing all together that's what we were talking about in the interview yeah yeah exactly that's exactly and the role, what we're the role really wraps around this whole unique skill set which i think is really exciting and amazing for me 
I mean, it sounds like they made the job for you, basically. That's crazy. It's, um, I mean, it kind of is what happened because we discussed about potential fits and how I could help. And eventually what happened is a, a role description got designed around this whole discussion, which is awesome. Well, that's amazing because you were already working at a job that you loved. I know you work, you love working at ThinkMill mm-hmm. and you love a lot of the people that work there. So this must have been such an amazing opportunity to, to pull you away from that, right? Yep. And I was literally having discussions within ThinkMill a couple of weeks before that happened. And I was like, I'm never like, I I never had any intention of leaving or even looking for another job because ThinkMill is such an amazing place with amazing folks. And then in retrospect, I said, I didn't think any job could take me away from ThinkMill, but this Tailwind UI job is definitely the one. Wow. That is really cool. Well, Simon, thank you for coming on again. I just wanted to make sure that we added this little update in here because I really do think it completes the journey in terms of the things that you've done, right? I mean, so every Everything that mm-hmm. you've done and all the different frameworks that you've played around with and everything you've done with, I mean, it, it makes you perfectly ready for this role. And it's amazing that the role happens to be around. It's just, it's a crazy nexus. It really is. Yeah, I think it completes the story pretty well. And as it happened, I was thinking back of the, the podcast we did a couple of weeks ago, like the first recording. And I was like, this this is like the the fruit, the follow up of the, I was talking about these milestones when I went on Theme Forest and, and Think Mill. And it seems like the next unlock, the next chapter. So it's really nice to add this to the, to the discussion, I guess. That's really cool. Well, thank you again for coming on, Simon. But that about wraps it up for another episode of devmode.fm. If you'd like to have every episode delivered to your favorite player, you can subscribe via RSS or find us on iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, please review the show on iTunes. It's the best way to help others find the show. Patrick said he was going to make this shorter, but he didn't. You can follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website where we can continue the conversation. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Marion Nolifant. And I'm Patrick Harrington. And thank you for coming on, Simon Veracliotis. <laughs> Thanks for having me. That was really fun, guys. kind of tease Simon but about Simon STD is because to me his name his last name sounds like a sounds like an STD but that's just my own failing at being unable to pronounce it <laughs> nice I was wondering what Andrew. that was yeah uh, sorry about the chloroform Marion <laughs> it's okay <laughs> she's like it's our rating is gone again <laughs> I know I know my reputation is so valuable to me